0: Good morning. Always great to have you here, friends, new and old. That's to do with the length of time you've been here, right? That wasn't a statement of other stuff. (laughs) Young and younger. (laughs) So yeah, we're uh, starting our new little mini-series right now. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And if you're not someone that typically follows the church calendar, Advent is a season that Christians all over the world are joining together to celebrate now in anticipation of both Jesus coming at Christmas. Uh, as we remember his coming, but then as we look ahead to the end and his second coming. So the word advent is all about anticipation of the coming of Jesus. So we're going to remember that he came in the flesh 2,000 years ago and what that meant for us. And then at the same time, we're going to think ahead to what the promise is that we're awaiting when he comes and his kingdom is finally established in all its fullness and all of its glory. Um. I had a couple of little conversations with people as we're kind of setting up and get going. Hands up if you uh, had a very stress-free Thanksgiving. <laughs> there's like, oh, there's a couple of us. Hands up if, if Thanksgiving was a little bit stressful, uh, a lot of cooking to do, a lot of family dynamics to deal with. Uh, so many of us end up coming in on a day like today after a holiday like Thanksgiving, sandwiches between Christmas. We come in a little bit. Usually a little bit tired, a little weary, sometimes a little down. Um, if you got to go home and be with family and the dynamic is great, you come back feeling excited and enthusiastic, and this is wonderful. Uh, for many people, it's like, oh, that person's in my family, and now I remember what it's like to be around them. Uh, and if you don't feel that way, that's probably you. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> I see people going, it's you. <laughs> So we're going to spend some time this morning just looking at Jesus, of course, because Christmas is coming. And I'm hoping as we look at some of the words that are in God's word that are written to us that anticipate his coming and his second coming, that it's going to uh, comfort you out of what you've just come through and help give you the right perspective as we look ahead to what's coming. So, So let me ask this question, how many people have already started their Christmas shopping and have it all done? Okay, so there's like one. Hands up, you've started but you're on the way. And let's get the, the other honest hands. Who's not even looked at a Christmas present? Okay. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of us in as well split. So i mean as we're getting ready for christmas this is this is coming up to stressful season right i'm going to add a little bit of stress because if you've not started remember that all deliveries are delayed right now the excuse is COVID, uh because the excuse for everything is COVID, right so (laughs) so right now everything's delayed if you've not started you better go to a real shop and buy it in person (laughs) so there's some stress that's coming there's there's the stress that we just had prepping for thanksgiving there's the the stress that we're going to walk into as we head towards christmas Uh, There's the dynamics that we experienced uh, as we engaged Thanksgiving. There's the dynamics that we're going to experience in our family as we look ahead to Christmas. And in a time like this, as every uh, shop, and business in the entire US seems to all of a sudden flip overnight into Christmas decorations. There's an anticipation that we feel, but there's a stress and there's a weight that that comes with that. And as we walk toward the end of the year, there's all sorts of other weights and stresses that we start carrying. And it looks something like this. It's, I just went home for Thanksgiving with my family. I thought God had done so much work in me that this year it would be different. I wouldn't rise to the bait and I would be able to love them well and it didn't go that way. It's looking toward the end of the year and going 2021 is almost over. I thought I would have a better job. I thought I would know where I was going. I thought I'd have more clarity this year. I've been praying. I've been seeking. I've been doing all the right things, and I feel just as confused and just as lost and aimless as I was. It's looking at the the sin issues in our life going, I told myself that this was the year that I was going to overcome that issue. I wasn't going to walk in it anymore. I was going to walk confidently in my identity with God, and here we are in the Stress of Thanksgiving and the lead up to Christmas seeing the same broken patterns, the same inner lies being spoken over ourselves. And we get this point where we feel a little defeated and deflated. We get tired, we get worn. So I want to um I want to speak into that this morning by looking at some words that Isaiah spoke. Um, And we're gonna frame this. Basically the next four weeks, we're gonna sit in one verse. We're going to sit in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we're going to look at some key words here. Today, we'll look at a little bit of the context that goes around it, but we want to camp out here, or we could use the word tabernacle, or we could use incarnate in some sense as we sit here with Jesus and all that it describes. And so, in this passage, we're we're going to look. Let me just read what it says up here. For unto us a child is born. Uh, To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So basically what I want to do for the next four weeks of Advent is look at these titles one at a time and ask the question, uh, Isaiah was sitting prophesying about the coming of Jesus. uh, We look back at Christmas and remember his coming. We are anticipating the second coming of Jesus. So what do these words in our current broken world as we look ahead to the second coming of Jesus and all that that entails? So we're gonna look at these one at a time, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, over the next four weeks and ask ourselves the question, what is the relevance or the implication of this for us today? If you're familiar, Isaiah is the book in the Bible that probably is the most Prophetic about the Messiah and the future kingdom. It's one of the books that is uh, quoted most often through the New Testament as the writers are trying to explain the story of the Old Testament and how it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Within the book of Isaiah, chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, uh, lots of scholars kind of pull this out as its own little section that they call the book of the Messiah. So from chapter 7 to 11, it's all of these key descriptions about Jesus, who he was, these prophecies about his coming. Um, And so so we're right in the middle of this section of the book of Messiah. And the last piece, just as the preface for where we're going, is this. We need to be aware, as we're coming to the text, the significance of names uh, for ancient Near Eastern history and and past beyond that. Um, Names were significant. And when names were given names didn't just mean that this is the label that people are going to use Do you ever think about names a random set of sounds that people say that you respond to it's just like oh and that's it that's your name your parents picked a random set of sounds and they gave you that label names in scripture are far more significant than that because they don't just uh, they're not just a label that that gives you uh, a title that someone can use to call upon you so that you'll respond but it, it names in scripture are all about reputation and character and persona and they carry deep significance. So when Isaiah is speaking, God is speaking through Isaiah. He's prophesying ahead to Jesus coming and he picks these four titles. So there's deep significance of what this means about Jesus, There's deep significance for how this impacts how we walk at Christmas. Um, So I want to jump back just to the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9 and put this in its context. Uh, I don't like to just pull scriptures out of the middle and say we're just going to talk about this. Let's put it in its context uh, and understand what's going on in this passage. So I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. So Isaiah's just been telling them the, the nasty that comes with these people that are opposing God and opposing God's people. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So everyone that's, that's tracking with the Bible story, there's, there's been this condemnation happening. there's going to be an honoring coming out of Galilee. We know what that honoring is, right? I just want to see some nods right? pointing ahead to this honor that's going to come by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And I think it's interesting, like, God set up a system uh, to govern the world. He set up, within Judaism, he set up a whole bunch of feasts. That sanctify the calendar and throughout the year they have different events that they would celebrate uh, To remember the work that God had done to remember the promises that he'd made And so right back at the beginning as God's creating the heavens and the earth He he rests on the seventh day, he sets up Sabbath Then all through Leviticus and uh, Exodus and Leviticus you see these feasts being set up So by the time Jesus is coming and this prophecy is being fulfilled The time that Jesus has been born is significant So he's been born at a particular time of year based on a particular time of the Jewish calendar that's significant in the story. God has been sovereign over time from the beginning. And one of the things I I just find really interesting, it doesn't work in all parts of the world. If you go to Australia, this doesn't work. But I think it's interesting that in a huge majority of the world, especially the English-speaking world, as we're looking at a passage like this, Um, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We are here in the U.S. at the time of year when the land is darkest. I think it's interesting that Christmas happens at this time of the year, that God has orchestrated it in such a way. Um, As I say, you go to the Southern Hemisphere, the the seasons are not the same for them, but where we are, there's a great significance. As we look at the, the light getting shorter, and the dark getting longer, there's something prophetic that that speaks um, about the, the, the situation that's in Scripture. And then we have this declaration that in that darkness, light is being birthed. Uh, and we talk about this every Christmas, um, Christmas lights are everywhere. We have this moment as you're walking down the darkness of the street, Christmas lights are on all the houses. In our car it's like, look out Sky's window, it's on Sky. I say, look out Ella's window, it's on Ella's, are you inside? Whatever. Um, There's something about the light that is most beautiful when the sky is the dark. And so as he's setting up what is coming here, he's setting up in the context of standing in the darkness, seeing the light coming and the impact that that has on us, that we've capitalized in the way that we decorated Christmas. So though the people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. So we get this amazing declaration. Uh, Israel is is walking into, uh, Assyria is going to take them, Uh, Babylon is going to take them, they're going to be exiled, they're going to be defeated, there are these nations overwhelming them. But there's this declaration that sometime is coming, when that's going to be shattered, the yoke will be broken. Um, Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So all of that negativity, war, destruction, death, all of the instruments used for that are going to be destroyed. Why? Why? We know how the story goes, the the fall happened, God chose Abraham, God set apart Israel to be his chosen people, he gave them the law, he gave them the sacrifices, he gave them the priesthood, he gave them the tabernacle, he gave them the temple. Uh, This was all given And, and the whole time Israel is looking ahead for this promise. Uh, that the, these nations that are warring against them, that are taking them captive, that are defeating them, and, and, and the instruments of consequence as they've rejected God. There's a day coming when these things are going to be defeated, and it's all going to come through this little child that's going to be born, and he's going to be given a specific set of names. So this morning, I want to look at the first of those names given to this little boy that was born in a manger that carries the promise um, of everything, all the hope of Israel and all the hope of the world. So let's look at this title, Wonderful Counselor. And it's funny when you mess around with, with the languages, if you were to go read, read around this. There are four titles. When we read our English Bibles, the majority of them will give us four titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty, Father, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Not actually the way this is working in, in the language in the background. So the words wonderful and counselor like, are two nouns. So what ends up happening in this passage, it has the noun wonderful and then the noun counselor. And then it has the noun God and the noun mighty. The noun father everlasting, prince peace. So do you hear that? So mighty God in scripture is God the mighty one. Uh, Everlasting Father is Father the Everlasting One. It has Prince of Peace as it is, and then it has these two nouns side by side, Wonderful and Counselor. So if you go back to King James, if you have like the ESV, your Bible is going to say, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, this is technically two titles that in many of our translations we sandwich together and make it one because of the poetry of the verses. So, there are two titles here that we're going to tackle today, and these are both super significant for who Jesus is and what he means for us, especially in a season like this that's stressful as we approach Christmas. Uh, In light of what we've endured for the rest of 2020, 2020 and 2021, I think these words bring a lot of comfort. So, I want to put up The Hebrew here, because I know there's a lot of people like me that like to geek out in these and try and write them. Um, So this is Pele Ya'ot. So Pele is the word for um, wonderful, and Ya'ot is the word for counsel or advisor. So I want to tackle these words one at a time, Uh, and I want to help you see the significance. I say this all the time when I'm up here, that there are words that come up that when the Jewish people are encountering these words, uh, they hear all of the times that these words come up in Scripture. uh, These words carry like some significant weight that then when they're put on the person of Jesus is really mind blowing. Um, And in these words, the the challenge is when we take these words and we understand them in English, the way we understand these words in English is very rarely like the way they really are, are meant in their original language. So the first word that I want to look at is the word wonderful. Now when we think of the word wonderful, you're thinking about the dinner that someone made, or you're thinking about the gift that they gave, or the new haircut of your spouse as she's just come in, and it's like, that's wonderful. Like, it's this word, it's nice, it's pleasant, it's good. Like, it's, it's a positive adjective that we use to describe something that we like, right? Um, when you go, wonderful counselor, it just means he's a really good one, right? Um, and in that, it, this, is a, this word is a thread that comes all the way through Scripture, and we miss the significance of this word uh, because we've, we use it just as this simple adjective. So we're going to talk about several places this appears, but the first one that I want to look at, no, but the only one that's up on the screen, is the first time this word is used in Scripture, and it's in Genesis 18. So remember what we're dealing with here. Isaiah is prophesying. I'm being Scottish now. Isaiah is prophesying about this this Messiah that's going to come. It's pointing ahead to Jesus. We know the story. But the first time this word wonderful is used is used in the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. Abraham and Sarah have been unable to conceive a child despite the fact God has promised to Abraham that he's going to become the father of many nations through a son that he's going to bear. So this moment where some angels appear some visitors come by they stay with Abraham and Sarah and, and the angels turn to them one of them said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son funny that the context of childbirth right here now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind them Abram and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing so Sarah laughed herself and she thought am after I'm worn out and my Lord is old well I now have this pleasure scripture's not very nice to you sometimes <laughs> Am I worn out? And my Lord is old. Will I now have this pleasure?" Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Well, I really have a child now that I'm old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The sentence literally says, Is there anything too wonderful for God to do. And in this word, the concept is impossible, indescribable, beyond our ability to understand, miraculous, supernatural. This word wonderful is not just a nice adjective, but it's talking to the raw power of God at work in the world. I don't think it's, I don't think it's by accident that as Isaiah is prophesying about this child that's going to come, that's going to be the carrier of the promise of God, that the first adjective he used to describe him is the same adjective that's found in the story of Abraham as he's given the child of promise through whom God is going to rescue and redeem the people of the world. I think when Jewish people are sitting in these scriptures, they understand these words. Uh, And then sadly, is it sadly? Our English Bibles try to interpret these things in a way that makes it easier for us to understand. If she said, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? It carries a different significance to, is anything too hard for the Lord? Which then means as we're reading, we don't see the connection between the words because they're lost in translation. So the first time it appears is in Genesis 18, but I want to give you a summary of how this word appears in Scripture. And as I'm doing that, I want you to think of the significance of all of the things I'm about to share as they relate to the person of Jesus and who he is on the day that he was born. The next major time that we see this word come up is in Exodus 3.20. This is actually the, the way the word is going to be used for the majority of its use through Scripture. God calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, and how does he say he's going to do it? I'm going to rescue you, and I'm in the process, I'm going to uh, bring judgment on the nation of Israel, and I'm going to do signs and wonders. And so he uses this language, wonders, to talk about the way that God brings judgment on Israel through the plagues, and in the process, brings redemption to the people of Israel. So all the way through Scripture when it's saying, remember the signs and wonders that I did. Remember that I brought you out of Egypt with wonders. So when he's calling this guy the wonderful counselor, he's saying he is the wonder. He is the wonder. He is the one that rescues us from slavery and brings us into the promised land. As you go on into Leviticus 22 in the language of vows, they talk about all these different vows and every now and then it says, now if you want to bring a special vow... If you want to make a special vow, here's the offering that you're going to make. That special vow is the word wonder. You're going to offer this wonder to the Lord. It's almost like an awe offering. You want to bring an offering of like, wow, to the Lord. This is how you're going to do it. So there's some special vow that is made that the Bible classifies as wonder. As Jesus comes and lives true to the Word of God, fulfilling all the vows of the Old Testament, and then calling us into a relationship with Him where we vow to give our life in return for what He's done for us. Joshua 3, as Joshua is leading the people into the promised land, it says God did it with wonders. They're standing uh, on the other side of the Jordan. They see the promised land and God parts the Jordan as the priests walk out and stand in the middle of it. The Jordan parts and the people walk through. God says, I did a wonder. So this wonder brought people across the Jordan and into the promised land. Um, David in 2 Chronicles is describing the temple. And he says, I want to build a house for the Lord that is wonderful. Jesus, the temple of God that came and walked on the world. And then we know how it goes. You go on from there to Jesus as he's walking in the world. Uh, People would look at him and it, it said he would teach. And people were amazed They were filled with wonder, asking how did this guy learn to teach the way he teaches? Where did this knowledge come from? So when Scripture starts, when Isaiah's like, hey, there's this kid, and he's wonderful, he's not saying he's a really nice chap, (laughs) he's saying this guy is the wonder. He is the embodiment of all the wonders that you have seen me do through Scripture. He is the embodiment of the rescue. He's the embodiment of the promise to Abraham that the son would come. He's the embodiment of the rescue out of slavery and into the promised land. It's, It's the miracle that parts the sea so that you can pass through it. It's the temple that houses my presence. It's this man who's walking on the earth who is a wonder. He's beyond our comprehension. No one can understand his ways are beyond our ways. This Jesus is the wonder. And we sing these songs, you know, the waymaker, the promise keeper. He's a wonder working God. As you look at Thanksgiving, as you look ahead to Christmas, as you think about what you've experienced over the last year, as you think about what you're longing for, for 2022, are you looking for a wonderful chap? Are you glad that we serve the wonder-working God, the full story of Scripture encapsulated in this one person? The second word is just as amazing. We hear the word counselor, and we think I get to go and sit with someone and talk about all of my emotional baggage, right? And for many of us, we need a wonderful counselor, a really good chap right? <laughs> uh, and many of us are really grateful for that. But again, the, the connotations of this word are far beyond what we grasp at first when we look at a word counselor. You could take this word and, and you could technically translate it something like a wise strategist. Hands up if you need a wise strategist in your life to help you put things in order. I know I sure do. Um, We encounter this word for the first time in Exodus 18. Moses is leading the people, he's judging them, and it's crazy. He's got the burden of all of the people on his shoulders. I don't have this one up there yet. (laughs) He's got the burden of all the people on his shoulders. He's trying to figure out all these people have problems. They're grumbling constantly. Anyone feel like they're around people like that? (laughs) I'm one of them. I grumble constantly. So he's surrounded by these people. He's trying to judge. He's trying to figure out, how do I, as one person, help judge and care for this entire nation? And so there's this moment where he's with his father-in-law, little plug for in-laws right here. Um, Not all bad. (laughs) So he's with his father-in-law, and there's this moment where his father-in-law says, you know, what you're doing is good, but let me give you a bit of advice. And then he gives them this strategy. Here's what to do. Find some really godly men who know the word, and you're going to appoint them as judges over certain groups, and you can manage them. And then if there's any cases that they can't deal with themselves, have them bring them to you, and then you can decide the bigger cases. So this moment where where Jethro is like, here, let me give you a strategy for how you can manage and lead these people effectively. And Moses does it, and it's really successful. When, When Jethro says, let me give you some advice, the word is, let me give you counsel. Let me give you counsel here. This word is repeated over and over and over through Kings and Chronicles, all the way through the prophets. This is the primary word that we're talking about when it says, you know, there was this king and he was wise and he walked in the way of the Lord and he led well and he advised or counseled the nation of Israel well, or he surrounded himself by godly men who gave him good advice. And those words each time, it's either the person walked and gave good advice or he surrounded himself by people who gave him good counsel. And the contrast all the way through Kings and Chronicles, you see these kings that just plummet and don't get it right. And it's they rejected the counsel of the people around about them. They rejected the advice of the Lord as he was giving it to them. They didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. And so scripture sets up that there is this set of advice, this counsel that God offers, and our ability to walk in the way God wants us to walk is determined by whether we heed that counsel or not. And he sets systems in place. Proverbs will tell us that if you surround yourself by good godly people, it will have a positive impact on your life. The wise person heeds good counsel, the fool rejects it and doesn't listen. Listen. So Scripture sets up this pattern of are you a person who heeds the counsel of the Lord? Are you a person that surrounds yourself with good counselors which, which will advise you in the way of the Lord, or are you the fool that rejects it and in the process walks away from the Lord? This concept of counsel and advice is found elsewhere in Isaiah. So we're in this book of the Messiah. Look at Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is describing the spirit of the Lord on Jesus. And it uses multiple adjectives to describe what the spirit does and what he gifts him with as he walks in this rule as a leader. So a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Uh, the word branch in Hebrew is tied to the word Nazareth, Natsar, usually. Um, interesting, one that's branchy. And it says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And which one does he delight in the most? The fear of the Lord. He's not gonna judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. So Isaiah is talking about this kid that's going to come. He's going to be this wonderful counselor. He's going to have this spirit that's going to come upon him, the spirit of the Lord. And that spirit is going to bring wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge of God and fear of him. What's fear of the Lord? It's a reverence for God and his instruction that causes us to obey the things that he says. And of all of the things that he could walk in, it's not the wisdom, it's not the understanding, it's not the good advice, it's the ability to obey out of reverence for God, that's the thing that he delights in. But this is a description of the work of the Spirit in Jesus, giving him the ability to be the good counselor that God has asked for all the way through Scripture. The, the little side note here, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. But we, again, we know the story. Jesus comes, he lives on the earth. He's here for his 30, 33 years. He dies a brutal death And Scripture tells us that when he leaves and he ascends into heaven, he's telling his disciples, he's like, it's better for you that I go. Because when I go, there's one greater than me that's going to come, and he's going to anoint you with certain abilities. So it's better for you if I go. He's going to teach you the things I say. He's going to remind you who I am. So this spirit that was on Jesus that enabled him to be the good counselor is the same spirit that gets to rest on us to give us wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. Uh, so as we're in this season going, How do, where do I go? What do I do? How do I resolve this issue? How do I walk forward? This spirit will give you the wisdom and understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord that you need. How? Because he points you to Jesus who's Jesus. He's the wonderful counselor. He is the counsel of God. There's this other part in Isaiah towards the end, um, these amazing like declarations in Isaiah. It's not enough to say that this person is going to be the Messiah, but the Messiah is God. There's this part in 28 that this also comes from the Lord of hosts. I'm talking about some stuff going on. <laughs> this comes from the Lord of hosts who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. So this, the Lord of hosts all the way through Isaiah is the description of God. And so here, God is the one with wonderful counsel. This is a declaration of God the Father and who He is. And and He's prophesying this child is going to come and He is going to be the wonderful counsel. And we know how this goes. God gives us his word. Jesus comes as the living embodiment of the knowledge of God. Jesus knows the mind of the Father. He listens to what the Father teaches. He does everything the Father says. We know that the the, the, the Spirit knows the mind of Christ. So this counsel of God is imparted through Jesus by the Spirit into us. So when we're looking at this word counsel, we're not talking about someone that listens to our problems. That's part of it. But someone that gives wisdom and advice, who walks in what they say. A person who can impart the blueprints we need to achieve the things that God is calling us to do. And again, as a church, we're in this season. Where are we going? What are we doing? What do we what, what, what do? God is giving us and will give us the blueprints to walk in to become the church that He is, is calling us to be. But here, here's the side note for this. So scripture is clear that God is the counselor. God has good advice and wisdom that he gives to us. It's clear that Jesus is the one that comes and embodied this and fulfills this. It's clear that we have the spirit who teaches this stuff to us, right? And scripture is like, follow the good counsel and you'll be blessed. Don't follow the good counsel and it won't go so well for you. But we know how it goes. We we listen to the good counsel and it doesn't work out the way we want. You know that's the way it goes often, right? So God creates Adam and Eve and puts them in the garden with the full counsel of God. And what do they do? They listen to the enemy and sin comes into the world. We see it with uh, God, this wonder that he works to rescue Israel out of egypt with the plagues but what happens they go running ahead and all of a sudden they're sandwiched between the red sea and an egyptian army with nowhere to go and in that moment they're not going oh god's wonderful and look at this amazing advice that he gave me sometimes if you follow the tremendous counsel of god you're going to find yourself with the red sea in front of you and an army behind you and then we go oh god's abandoned me god's horrible i can't worship him anymore." Look what he does to me. And that place, and that place where you've followed the counsel of God and things don't look the way that you want, a wonder is about to happen. <laughs> Jesus is the wonderful counselor. So he's not just a nice chap that listens to your problems. That's part of it, and he delights in it. But he is the wonder worker the fulfillment of everything that was prophesied, the hope of all of the world. He is the counselor, the embodiment of all the wisdom and knowledge and insight and blueprints that God has to offer us. Jesus is the ultimate miraculous work, the ultimate source of understanding, the ultimate judge of our motives. So the question is, as we're in this season, what does it mean to have a wonderful counselor? Um, yeah, <laughs> listen to like talk to Jesus, share your worries, know that he'll hear them and receive them and comfort you in the middle of it. But Jesus is the one who is the wonderful counselor. He's the one who knows the plan and is steadfast with it. He's the one who is unchanging when the world around us seems to be changing at a rate we can't keep up with. He's the one who knows the mind of God and has the spirit who knows the mind of Christ and pours that into us. He's the one whose plan is perfect, even when we can't see the wonder that's in front of us. He's the one who brings both judgment and blessing, the one beyond our understanding, the one who works in ways that blows our mind and who steps forward in ways that we can't fully understand. And he's demonstrated it time and time again, A curse that came with a promise. A hundred-year-old woman who gives birth to the promised son, sandwiched between the army and the Red Sea, in exile, cut off from the temple and the tabernacle. A baby lying in a manger in poverty while the country is overruled by Romans is the hope of the world. And eventually, I mean, you look ahead to Paul, a Christian killing rabbi the answer to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, the treasure of God carried in the frailty of our humanity. So, as you think about Thanksgiving, as you think about Christmas, as you think about that family dynamic that's difficult, as you look ahead uh, at what's coming in 2020, and you're reflecting back on the year and going, Why do I not have a better job than the one that I have? Why have I not found the spouse that I'm looking for? Why am I not seeing the freedom from these issues? Why are my finances not in a better place? Why is our church not the way I always envisioned it being? Uh, Why do I have the same lies competing in my mind in that place? We get to remember, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. And he's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor. So in the middle of all of that, there is one who can give you the blueprints that you need to get out of the mess that you're in. But sometimes in that place, you're going to feel stuck between the Red Sea and the army. And our job is to sit back and wait, to cast ourselves on him and trust that the wonder will do the wonder in our life. Let me pray. God, I love that you do not leave us to do this stuff on our own. God, this is a time of year that's hard, it's stressful, there's presents to buy, there's food to cook, there's dynamics to figure out, do we mask, do we not mask, can family be together, can we travel state lines, can we get there, can we not, can people travel overseas? Lord, there's so many worries. There's the, do I have enough money for Christmas? Can I do this one more year? Um... God, thank you that you don't leave us in that mess. Thank you that you are the wonder and the counselor. So we today seek you. God, would you do the wonders in our day that we long for? Would you pour out your counsel into our hearts, the blueprints that we need to follow you and the hope that we need to to walk it out? And thank you, Jesus, that you're the one that does this for us. So as we look ahead to Christmas, We thank you that you came but we thank you that you're coming again and that day is coming when that wonder working counselor will once again be on the throne and everything will be put right god we look ahead to it we long for it help us to walk in it in jesus name